was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. May I speak and may you hear in the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. You are my wonderful child. You make me very glad. It's another sort of translation of those words from God to his Son at his baptism. Affirmation, love and affection. It's all there at Jesus' baptism, at the beginning of his ministry. But affirmation, love and affection, well, to be honest, some of us, we're not very good at giving it and we're not very good at receiving it. Some people here may never have heard their father say in words or looks or even a hug, you are my dear child. I'm very pleased with you. And what a terrible thing that so many children don't hear that or don't receive that. Some of you perhaps know the Ernest Hemingway story um, which was set in Spain where a father and a son, they fall out with each other and the son runs away to Madrid and the father wants nothing more to do with him as if dead to him. But after many years, the father realises how much he misses his son and he wonders if he was maybe too harsh with him. And he wants to put things right. And so he decides to put an advert in a Madrid newspaper. It said this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. But Paco is a common name in Spain. And when the father turned up at the hotel, hoping to see his son, he could hardly make his way through the crowds of young men, all longing to be reconciled with their father. We all need to know that we are loved. And sometimes we get it into our heads that we will not be acceptable to God unless we're good, unless we're better than we are. We think, actually, the logical thing is we've got to repent and then God may have something to do with us. He may then love us. But that's the wrong way round. 
And you learn through this as a parent. I think I did. Forgive me if I've told you this story before, but I don't often get to say it when my daughter's here. When Fran was young, and she didn't really sleep at night, um, she'd be awake from about two till six in the morning. Fran, if you want to leave now, that's fine. And, and because Mandy got her on a bottle by then, guess who was looking after her? Yeah, Muggins. So, be wandering around the house between two and six in the morning thinking, what am I going to do with this? You know, just awake and lively. And she had a will of her own, you know. Just did have a will of her own. Ugh. And you know how parents can come to the end of their tether with their children. But, you see, you could be thinking like that with Fran, but when you put her in the cot and she did go to sleep and you looked at her, you thought, wow, isn't she lovely? And, of course, you love her because she's Fran and I'm a dad. And that's the way God views you and me. That's what God is like with humankind. It's said that God's weakest point is his heart and he lost his heart to you and me. God lost his heart to you and me. Do you know that? He's absolutely besotted with you and me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the extent. While we were God's enemies, he came looking for us. While we were rebelling against him, he came to bring us home in his Son. He doesn't wait for us to be good before he loves us. Like a good parent, he sees the huge potential in us. He doesn't just see the problems. He sees what we will be. Do you know that? Do you know how much you are loved by your Heavenly Father? And it's because He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. You are my dear child. I'm absolutely delighted with you. Now, Kate starts her new ministry today. I don't know about all her faults and that. We can't put those on the screen, I'm afraid. But she's going to be the associate vicar and she has many gifts and experience in ministry, especially in fostering new vocations and young vocations. And we're looking forward to all that Kate will bring with others to the mission of this church. And God says, Kate, you are my wonderful, wonderful child. I'm absolutely delighted in you as you are. But God says that to all of us too. And we need to remember that it's not just ordination that's the mark of ministry, it's baptism. That's the mark of ministry. All of us who are baptised, God wants to use us as part of his loving reach to his world. We're to take our part in the body of Christ, the ministry of Christ's church. So that's the first thing, affirmation. The second thing, you read it in that reading, it said that after Jesus had been baptised, all at once the Spirit pushed him into the desert. When we receive God's affirmation, when we hear God say yes to us, and it might have been baptism, it might have been confirmation, it might have been ordination, it might have been some other time, on a hilltop looking over a great view, or a particularly stressful time, God said yes to you. 
then we're equipped to be sent out into the desert. And sometimes people will view testing and temptation as something that is best avoided, an unnecessary complication or evil. But you note here, who sends Jesus into the desert? It's not the devil, it's the Spirit. The Spirit sends Jesus out into the desert to be tested by the evil one. Because Jesus is acting out the great drama of Israel's exodus from Egypt, Israel's journey through the wilderness into the promised land. So the road that Jesus must tread, because he is God's dear son, is the road that leads through the dusty and dry paths, through temptation and also apparent failure. And so it will be for us as well. If we start the journey imagining that our God is a bully, that our God is an angry, threatening parent ready to yell at us or slam the door in our face or kick us out on the street because we aren't good enough, then we will fail at the first whisper of temptation. But if we remember that voice that speaks of God's delight and love for each of us, then we will find a way through. Now I know at Christ Church Basin Hill, in the last year and a half, you've been mapping vision and seeing where God's leading you, looking at what God's calling you to be. A church for the community, maybe a wider resource for the, the larger region and the wider church. Some pioneering going to go on here. How can we be a beacon of God's love and his kingdom. It's a good vision. It's a great vision. And I hope you're sort of gathering behind it. But you know what? There will definitely still be the desert times. There's going to be the rubble. There's going to be opposition. And, hey up friends, opposition often comes from within. You look at those stories of Moses going through the wilderness. It's all the people of God who are moaning, you know. Because we don't want to go in the desert. Why do we want to go out in the desert when we could be back in Egypt? Where they had cucumbers and lovely things. And there we are in the desert. You're making us eat manna. God, flip, another day of manna. I say that as an illustration because I know what? Discerning God's direction is the hardest thing. The way through. I pray that you will cling to God and hold together as you take this pioneering path and be a church for the people in this community and a pioneering beacon, if you like, for the wider region. Have the courage to step out, but keep close to God. Pray for Tim and Kate and the leadership team. I'm so glad you're having this focus on prayer in Lent. The most important thing for mission activity is discernment and prayer. If we're not close to God, what do we have to share with the world? And I hope that many of you will join in with the Still Small Voice event that's happening in May here in this church. And the third point, and you'll be glad to know the last point, so we will be out, honestly, before one o'clock, well before one o'clock, It says, 
Jesus was there with the wild beasts. Do you see that? The wild beasts. We're not thinking about the big beasts of the cabinet. We're thinking about the wild beasts. And I don't want to depress you too much, but wild beasts, frightening things are part of the Christian journey. There are dangers to come. Signs of threat. It could be, actually, one interpretation could be that this is the new creation. Jesus is the second Adam. And he is the Garden of Eden, if you like, the new garden. And Jesus with the animals. But I don't think it's that. Because the context of this letter, Mark's Gospel, he was writing to the Christian community in Rome who were being persecuted. Literally, they were being tied in sheep's clothing and thrown to the lions. It's actually a word of comfort to say Jesus was with the wild beasts. You are not alone, you who are being persecuted. And for people in Nigeria who are having their homes burnt, their families killed, people in Pakistan and India, Christians where churches are built and families are targeted and murdered, this could be some comfort. Opposition is growing in this country. Okay, it's not like Nigeria or Pakistan or India, but it's no easy thing being a practicing Christian today. Jesus was in the wilderness with the wild beasts, but the angels were there too. Note that. They were ministering to him. Note too that the angels were not there to keep him from being tested, to take him away from the danger or the threat. They wouldn't keep him from Calvary, but they were there to assure him that his beloved father was watching over him, that his father was there with him, acting through him, pouring out his spirit at this time in and through him. Jesus went the way that all of his people must go. And he could do it because he'd heard the words of love, the words of life. As Kate embarks on this new ministry, as we all step out in faith as God's people here in Baston Hill, God promises to be with us. We will face testing times it will sometimes be frightening and feel dangerous. And he won't remove us from these situations, but he promises to guide us through them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. May God bless you as you go with the pilgrim God to be a blessing to many. Amen.